Welcome back to WCCO Radio. Adam Carter filling in for uh, Chad Harmon. Chad obviously taking some time off after the passing of uh, Sid Harmon. And it's always time on a Wednesday afternoon to do Playing Politics with the editorial board at the Star Tribune. And joining us, as always, John Rash and Scott Gillespie. Uh, Gentlemen, thank you both for uh, joining me today. Thanks for having us, Adam. Appreciate it. Sure. Happy uh, to be here, Adam. We will talk uh, about Sid. We, of course, have to talk about Sid because he uh, bridges uh, our two uh, places of business, and uh, he's a legend at both places, so we will get to that. But let's start uh, with the presidential debate rules and uh, the most significant rule change being uh, the mute button. I'd like both of your take on this, and uh, how will this change the dynamic and will it give the intended uh, result of that we're going to get straight answers from these two candidates? Well, I think that just announcing it should curtail some of the crosstalk that happened before, because now if one of the candidates wants to interrupt the other, at least for those first two minutes of each opening segment, they won't be able to be completely heard. You probably will be able to notice that they're trying to outshout the other even without a microphone that will look even worse. And so it should bring more civility and more constructive conversation back to the debate and could really backfire if one of them tries to violate that kind of rule. Now, of course, both of them did it, but the public perceived, and it it did appear quite clear to anyone who would objectively view it, that the president tried to talk over and certainly interrupted Vice President Biden far more than the other way around. So this was in response more to what he had done. And so he certainly has to take a different tack going into the debate because public opinion polls showed that it hurt him last time. And there is less than two weeks till the election. And he needs something to shake up the race because nearly every reputable poll shows that he's behind, not just nationally, but in several key swing states. Scott? What could the president do in under these, I guess, new guidelines to try and change some minds? Because I would think at least the people who support him like that bombasticness that he displayed, even during the first debate when so many of us were holding our nose. Well, I think John outlined it well, Adam, but I did not add that, you know, once those two minute opening uh, uh, responses are given. Then there's a 15-minute free-for-all on each of the topics. So I'm I'm going into it thinking that it might not be a whole lot different than that first debate. And um, you know, we've spent how many four years, maybe more, if you go back to the last campaign, thinking that Trump might try something different, try a different message. Uh, you know, appealing to independents or appealing to undecideds. He just doesn't seem to want to do that. He doesn't, or he's not capable of doing that. So I kind of expect it to be sort of a, a, a lot like debate number one. Um, I could be wrong, but that's what I expect. John, do any minds get changed uh, at this point in the game? You know, two weeks out, uh, debate, uh, are the is there any fence sitters that say, boy, I'm going to make up my mind after this hour and a half? There always will be because there still are, albeit a dwindling number, of undecided voters. And by watching this, they may finally come to a conclusion. It appears by most polls that the late breakers are leaning towards Vice President Biden. And we've seen previous elections where there's the small number of undecideds break decisively one way. And it may indeed go the vice president's way. 
considering how the campaign is going at this point. The vice president was much more effective when he directly addressed the American people. I think I would expect to see more of that and try to tune out President Trump, although it's likely that President Trump will bring up his son and this scandal that the Republicans allege is happening. Vice President Biden and the Democrats say that it's based on faulty intelligence and indeed several reputable news organizations wouldn't even run with the story, including Fox News, until they got a former producer in the Sean Hannity program to write a piece about it for the New York Post. But I think that if we look at the last debate, President Trump brought up Hunter Biden in a very cutting, cold way relative to his late son, Beau. And so it won't be surprising if he brings that up. But this burgeoning scandal of Rudy Giuliani, um, who has been the one leading the charge against Hunter Biden, may take some steam out of that issue as well. So I think that both of them would be well served to stick to the issues, talk to the American people instead of shouting at each other. But the one that has the more discipline to do that probably will benefit the most from the debate. Talking to John Rash and Scott Gillespie uh, from the uh, Star Tribune, uh, playing politics. Scott, the, 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 the reaction to the first debate seemed to be universal in that it was just um, just a, a clown show, for lack of a better term. Is there a yeah. part of the population, though, that says, oh, i got to watch this just because it is so so messy? Yeah, I think there is. I think there's an entertainment value with, especially with Trump, uh, that you didn't necessarily get with presidential debates in the past. I think his 40 percent, those rock solid supporters across the country, I think most of those people will try to find a way to tune in. Uh, But I do think there's also some news fatigue and some Trump slash election fatigue. So I I'd be surprised if it gets the same numbers as the first debate, the same ratings, but, uh, you know, it, it could. Um, but, yeah, you, you, I think you're, people are more in, inclined to, to tune in to, uh, with him on the stage because you don't really know what's going to happen. Uh, John, president going after Dr. Fauci again this week, and it's a, to a higher level uh, than I think we've seen before. What's his strategy in doing that? Is there one? Uh, my colleague Scott just rightly talked about the base, and he seems to be trying to build that up and and energize them. But it's quite clear that the president won't win the election unless he builds beyond the base. A couple of quick data points for you here from just today, New York Times national poll here, where in terms of whether people support or oppose these issues, 72 percent of Americans, which means a considerable number of Republicans, support a new $2 trillion stimulus package regarding the COVID crisis. 67% are for a public health insurance option, partly in concern over the COVID crisis. 59% of Americans, so again, considerable number of Republicans, are for a national mask mandate. And if, however, if you look at the Pew poll that is out today in terms of what either Uh, supporters or leaners towards Vice President Biden and the same thing with President Trump consider key issues. If you look at the coronavirus outbreak, 55% of Americans consider that very important issue. That's 82% of people who are going to vote for or lean towards Vice President Biden, but only 24% for the president. He's been speaking to those 24% 
in his criticism of Dr. Fauci, but the math doesn't add up both in the popular and electoral college vote. If he does that, it certainly goes counter to the widespread acceptance and admiration of the work that Dr. Fauci has done and is trying to do. So it's hard to figure out the calculus beyond just trying to strengthen the base. But again, that's not going to work for the national election less than two weeks away. Scott, uh, but there was some hope that at least seemed some uh, momentum, at least, to on that stimulus package. We had the Speaker Pelosi and Steven Mnuchin uh, meeting, but now it, it appears that Mitch McConnell is warning against making a deal and kind of leveraging it against the, uh, the Supreme Court uh, nominee, Amy Coney Barrett. What's the latest there? Well, you know, I, I can't figure out what McConnell's strategy is there. Uh, you know, I think both Democrats and Republicans who are in uh, Senate and, and congressional races uh, want to see a stimulus bill passed. Uh, I think there's a real need in the country and their constituents want some help. So um, that doesn't it doesn't really track for me unless McConnell is just playing, you know, just playing politics and, and, and trying to play hardball so he gets the best deal he can cut. And in his mind, that might be smaller dollar amount rather than larger. But I don't. I think it hurts uh, President Trump if it, and the, all the Republicans on the ballot if there's no deal struck. So I'm not sure that Pelosi's all that anxious to cut a deal either. Yeah, it's very confusing when, when it seems to change daily, and then you're wondering what what the politics behind it is. Speaking of playing politics, of course, it is the uh, the name of the segment. Uh, I thought it was masterfully played politics or not in that it was we had five special sessions talking about local politics now and then seemingly out of nowhere when it was like deals could not get done we had this uh bonding bill and uh it, it happened last week finally john in your assessment what changed what 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 didn't happen the first four times that finally happened the fifth time well partly they decided to dole out more projects to more districts, and that is kind of the old-fashioned way of cobbling together a coalition. And seemingly, most, if not all, were worthy. There are so many things that are left out of the bonding bill that are worthy public investments. So, you know, this probably moved a few votes over at this point. And I think the recognition among leadership of both parties, of the House, the Senate, and certainly with Governor Walls, that the Minnesota economy, like every other state in the nation and the whole world at this point, is under extraordinary strain because of the COVID crisis. And investing in long-term projects is one way to keep people at work or get them to work and to inject some money on things that are going to be durable for this state. That is an argument that should have been able to pierce the political cynicism surrounding St. Paul and, and what happens over at the Capitol, as you say, it didn't, you know, the second, third time weren't the charm, not even the fourth, the fifth time at this point. But in the end, most believe it'll be good for Minnesota. 149 News Talk 830 WCCO. It's playing politics with John Rash and Scott Gillespie from the Star Tribune. Gentlemen, can you hang around for one more segment here? Sure. Yes. Perfect. Let's take a break and then uh, I guess we'll come back and talk about the man, the myth and the legend. Sid Hartman. That's coming up. WCCO. 153 News Talk 830 WCCO. Adam Carter in for chat on this Wednesday. Playing politics with the Star Tribune. John Rash, Scott Gillespie. And uh, I think it's fitting that uh, we're talking about Sid Hartman, a man who brought so much to both our organizations. Um, John, you first. If you 
met someone who had no idea who Sid Harmon was, how would you explain to them who he was? First and foremost, hardly anyone in Minnesota didn't know who he was. And a quick anecdote, I can remember taking the WCCO van out in 2008 to the Republican National Convention. I was broadcasting live every night with Eric Escola and Dark Star. And Sid wanted to know what it was all about. He was quite curious, actually, as we all well know. And just he and I rode out there, and, and uh, we stopped at the perimeter, the security perimeter, started walking toward the Excel Energy Center, and you saw many prominent politicians all around. Every Republican elected official and commentator were, were around. And yet the crowds that were around who were from here turned towards Sid, and it was just remarkable, the reaction, how well-known, the smiles that he brought to people's face. We ended up stopping in Cosetta's, and despite it being packed, magically a table appears, as we all <laughs> would imagine, with Sid Hartman. And and he he really was, in many ways, you know, just a, a living legend for the paper, for the radio station, and for Minnesota. And um, it's something that uh, we probably will never see again. And part of it was his unabashed advocacy for everything, you know, Minnesota. I can remember being in the press box with him at a Twins game, and he told me that the difference between him and everyone else in here, meaning all the other reporters, is those guys, and he pointed to the nine Twins who were taking the field, they all know how much I want them to win. And, you know, the whole state of Minnesota knew that about him. So he was uh, one in in forever. Um, So quite the legend, as you mentioned. And Scott, the thing that has come up all week, uh, to me at least, is the work ethic. Uh, it's, it's, it'd be hard to find somebody who, who equaled that. I agree. I technically was one of Sid's bosses for about five years, although really no one was Sid's <laughs> boss. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, he didn't always follow the rules, so there were uh, plenty of run-ins and clashes, oh, yeah. uh, but but also over that time, you know, we forged this relationship built on caring about each other's families, going to funerals, uh, tough diagnoses, those kinds of things. And he was really loyal and um, loyal to the Star Tribune, to WCCO and to Minnesota, as John said. And then that work ethic. You're right, Adam. That That's what really separated the guy. Uh, he was driven by it. He was passionate about it. It's what kept him going for a hundred years. And uh, how fitting that he had a column in the newspaper on the day he died. It's it's just an amazing story, and he was an amazing figure. Uh, and there there will never be another one like him. And I I wrote the other day. I, I really wish I could have one more conversation with him. And I wish I could hear one more of his stories, even if I've heard that story 10 times before. Mm-hmm. It's a good, good possibility I would have. Uh, it was, uh, it's just, I was a bit, very much a bit player in his life. But as I, when I heard the news on Sunday, it just struck me how much of a, a major character he was in my own and in my career. And I think a lot of people and a lot of readers and listeners say, would say the same thing. 100%. And you, did, you, you nailed it there, too, just to hear one more story. And uh, I yeah. think it's a good lesson for us all, uh, for people, uh, those loved ones we have in our life, especially during these times. It's, uh, it's a good reminder to uh, you know, have those conversations with people who are important to you. But both uh, gentlemen, well said on Sid, and, of course, we'll all miss him. Thank you so much for the time today. We appreciate it.
Thank you, Adam. That's Scott Gillespie and uh, John Rash from the editorial board of the Star Tribune. Playing politics, we do it every Wednesday, a partnership with the Star Tribune and WCCO.